Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. Just give me the facts. Mm-hmm. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay, so I'm at this art museum with my cousin Ignacio, right? And there was this, like, abstract expressionism exhibit. But you know me, I'm more like a neo-cubist kind of guy, right? But there was this one Rothko that was sublime, bro. Oh, my God. Luis. Okay, sorry, sorry. I, I just, you know, uh, I just get excited and stuff. But anyway, anyway, and Ignacio tells me, yo, I met this crazy fine writer chick at the spot last night. Like, fine, fine. Like, crazy, stupid, fine. And he goes up to the bartender and goes, look at the girl I'm with. You know what I'm saying? She's crazy, stupid, fine, right? And the bartenders are all like, yeah, crazy, stupid, fine. So this writer chick tells Ignacio, yo, I'm like a boss in the world of guerrilla journalism. And I got mad connects with the peeps behind the curtains. You know what I'm saying? Ignacio's like, for real? And she's like, yeah. You know what? I can't tell you who my contact is because he works with the Avengers. Oh, no. Yeah, and this dude sounds like a badass, man. Like, he comes up to him and says, yo, I'm looking for this dude who's new on the scene, who's, like, flashing this fresh tack, who's got, like, bomb moves, right? Who you got? She's like, well, we got everything nowadays. We got a guy who jumps. We got a guy who swings. We got a guy who crawls up the walls. You got to be more specific. And he's like, I'm looking for a guy that shrinks. And I'm like, damn, I got all nervous because I keep mad secrets for you, bro. So I asked Ignacio, is it the badass to tell the stupefied writer chick to tell you to tell me because I'm tight with that man that he's looking for him? And? What'd he say? He said yes. World outside your window, it's still not great, but guess what? Here on Poster Recaps, everything is super. It's your one-stop shop for all things Marvel Cinematic Universe at the moment. Uh, I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Kevin Mahadeo. We are the Wombats who shall be guiding you through this adventure. Let me tell you a little story about the Wombats, all right? So, back in the day, all I right. was at Josh's Slow Bachelor Slow down. <laughs> details, relevant details only, please, Kevin. Right, 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 right. So, we were, at, we were at the Bachelor Party, right? And then we went to this campground. And, uh, and the campground was, was crazy stupid fine. Um, <laughs> can we agree now, before we disagree inevitably about things regarding this movie, that uh, Michael Pena as Luis is uh, the best sidekick character in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, I think that might be just like going off of it. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, who are the contenders? The like, MVP. Ned is a contender. Guy in the chair. Guy in the chair for sure. I mean, does Korg and me count because they're up there? Uh, yeah, if we're going they, Ragnarok they, style. They count, but that's such an ensemble movie to begin with, right? It's true. It's true. Not that this is Hulk might be a sidekick movie. in that movie. Yeah, I think I think of Hulk <laughs> sort of as the primary sidekick in uh, yeah in, in Ragnarok. Um, Wong's pretty good. Wong's pretty good in Doctor Strange and in uh, Wong is in Wong is better up. in Infinity War. I think. I think in, in that's very accurate in Doctor Strange. When we get there, my biggest problem is going to be like I don't give a crap about most of the characters, um, but we care about them in the rest of them. That's really interesting, yes. and it's actually that's relevant for this because hard point. I think Ant Man is better in the movies that he's in after this, including than this movie, including Ant Man and the Wasp. I think. Um, I mean, when we get there, we can rewatch it. I will say well, that's from the my purpose memory of the podcast. Ha, ha, ha. Don't just show from up my memory. without doing your homework. <laughs> homework? No, yeah. I graduated ages ago. Um, <laughs> I am old. You're an adult. Uh, I am. I mean, barely, more barely, or less, barely, barely. But uh, yeah, I, 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 after watching this, I, I feel like 
I will say I think I, I stand by saying I like Ant-Man to Wasp better than this one. But even beyond that, I do think Ant-Man works really, really well when thrown against um, the rest of the ensemble of the MCU. I think that's where he really shines. And I'm not saying anything against Paul Rudd in this movie. I think Paul Rudd did great. He's very Paul Rudd-esque. I mean, the first time he walks on screen, my first thought is... Uh, Paul Rudd is so handsome. He's so handsome. He's just the handsomest man. It's even it's, it's insane. It's like it transcends that he's so handsome. He's just so likable. Paul Rudd might be the most likable person on the planet. I think that he is definitely in contention for this. Uh, it's quite possible. He's great. He, he and might be he the also most doesn't... like the most likable actor. Like, uh, like I think like even like. Tom Hanks after a certain point is just like he's just doing his Tom Hanks thing. Paul Rudd is just How I know you. After Tom, all Hanks, been Tom Hanks is the most lovable actor and Paul Rudd is the most likable actor. There's two those are two different things. So it's, I I can I can fare that classification. Uh, I think that I I'm think, okay with I think that. that Paul Rudd is just like there is nothing for me there's nothing not to like. He's funny. Yeah. He's a good actor. He could be emotional. He's a very, very handsome man. Um, he is not just Scott Lang in this movie. He's not just the second Ant-Man, but he is also one of the, the chief creative minds behind this movie. You know, the behind-the-scenes journey of Ant-Man should probably be the thing that we shrink down to size first and really examine all uh. the parts of. Because... Ant-Man, Once Upon a Time, was one of the very first movies that Marvel Studios put out as its own studio. Um, at the Comic-Con, where Marvel Studios announced Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, um, Ant-Man was announced alongside it. And Edgar Wright was announced with, with, uh, with Ant-Man, and this is his vision. He's got a vision for Ant-Man. Marvel owns Ant-Man. Ant-Man is a founding Avenger. So um, the level of, like... Uh, of of fame that Iron Man enjoys before Iron Man becomes a movie and blows up the box office and becomes like a cultural icon is about the same level of fame I think that Ant-Man enjoys. Maybe a little more. It's hard to say because we now live in a time where we're so culturally biased towards Iron Man. But I would I would guess that they are relatively uh, simpatico in terms of um, how well-known they are. So there's a world in which Ant-Man launches very shortly after or right around the same time as Iron Man. That didn't happen. Edgar Wright, being an auteur, had other things going on. I think to a certain extent being placed in movie jail for the poor performance of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Which, he, which is a tragedy because I love that it's a great movie, movie so much. Great movie. Great movie. Um, goes on, does the the world's end. Um, but Ant-Man was always this thing. It's like, yeah, that's happening. We're not there yet. Marvel's got a lot going on. We'll get to it. And then Ant-Man is announced for phase two. And it is the concluding chapter of phase two. And right as things are moving, uh, Michael Douglas is cast. Paul Rudd is cast. Evangeline Lilly is going to be in the movie. Edgar Wright's directing it. Edgar Wright is not directing it and this is a, a, a very <laughs> sudden thunderbolt that drops into the middle of the production of this movie with just you know i think just like weeks to go a couple of months at most edgar wright departs and marvel is left scrambling and for a time i certainly remember feeling like well then why are they doing this like the really the only reason to do ant-man when you still haven't done black panther you still haven't done captain marvel 
Why even do Ant-Man if Edgar Wright's not going to do it? That's the draw. Cool, Paul Rudd, that's going to be fun to see as a superhero. Michael Douglas, that's a very exciting bit of casting that he's being cast as the original Ant-Man. It's just great to have Michael Douglas in like uh, a really active role in a movie like this. I know that he had said that one of the big reasons why he signed on for this movie was so he could make a movie for like his kids, his grandkids, like something that his family can watch him in and really enjoy pretty honestly. Um what? They're not going to watch the Ghost in the Darkness with him, you know. Maybe eventually they'll get into like uh, Basic Instinct, but I think they're going to take some time. Hopefully, um, obviously, I stand Evangeline Lilly. Shut your dirty mouth in advance, Kevin. Don't you dare! Uh, as he shakes his head, I'm a lost man. I love Kate, and I think Evangeline Lilly is tremendously underrated as an actor. I think she is tremendously underrated as an actor. And we will have to agree to disagree. Otherwise, I will find a way to fight you through StreamYard, uh, which is how we record these podcasts. We can agree to disagree, but like we can focus in on her character in this movie, which I think is a bigger talking point and can be less about her and more about what they gave her. Sure. But we can go from there. For sure. We'll we'll definitely talk about that. So there's there's all of that going on. These are three actors who I tremendously enjoy. Um but Edgar Wright's gone, so why do we give a shit? Why do we give a shit about like another another white straight dude superhero in a suit when Marvel has a lot of other really cool properties that they could explore? Why turn our why even exert energy on this? Why spend money on this? Well, for one, they're too far down the line. You know, they've got like previs done, they've got sets built. Edgar Wright leaves over creative differences with Marvel. I think Edgar Wright had a plan to make an Edgar Wright movie with Ant-Man. And then Marvel had a plan to make have Edgar Wright make Marvel's Ant-Man movie. And you can see the fingerprints of that in the ways in which this movie sets things up or crosses Ant-Man over to the greater MCU. You know, we're going to see Scott and Sam Wilson cross paths. He's literally going to go to Avengers HQ in New York. Um, there are going to be other ways. This is setting up the quantum realm, which is obviously a tremendous deal for the end game, literally, of the Avengers. Um, and I think the van, that very important van, establishing that van, which plays a vital role, a vital role in the entirety of or the rest of the MCU, especially role. in Endgame, a vital, very important a, that van, a vital <laughs> role, and where Joss Whedon, I think, is able to cut a lucrative deal to not only do Avengers: Age of Ultron, but to have some creative input on the other films in Phase Two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Edgar Wright has no such deal in place. I think felt like, you know, he he did the the comic the comic book thing with Scott Pilgrim. He, I think he felt like he had a really unique idea for how to utilize the power set that Ant-Man possesses, but if this is just going to become another cookie cutter studio movie, he's want, he wants nothing to do with it. So he bails. Um and that stinks cuz to to have seen like a fully realized Edgar Wright Marvel movie could have been amazing to the extent that like um, at least Shane Black on Iron Man, you know, at at the low end, at the high end Taika on on Ragnarok. What we get instead is Peyton Reed is the filmmaker who steps in to direct Ant-Man and Peyton Reed is a comes by it honestly died in the wool comic book fan. Uh, he is uh, very close once upon a time to making a Fantastic Four movie for Fox when Fox was a thing that owned Marvel movies on its own without Disney's involvement whatsoever. He did not make that movie. I think he was going to be very heavily inspired, he says, by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and the 60s stuff. That movie never happens. 
but he gets the call for Ant-Man. Um, a few other people got the call. Adam McKay uh, was going to be a director uh, possibility for Ant-Man. Instead, Adam McKay does not become the director for Ant-Man, but does team together with his former Anchorman colleague, Paul Rudd, to basically script doctor what was left over from Edgar Wright, uh, make it fit a little bit better with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, punch it up for some jokes, uh, and find a way to like turn this thing into something a little bit more cohesive. I think when you consider all of that, that this happened so fast, that this thing that was like ready to go and start filming under Edgar Wright's supervision shrunk down to you know minuscule size in front of everybody. And everyone's like, where did it go? What happened to it? It disappeared. And they have to lean on the star of the movie and the good grace of his relationship with an incredible comedy writer um, and a director who was mercifully available and ready to go and had already spent a lot of time thinking about how to do a Marvel movie. Um, and a Marvel movie that I think could have similar sensibilities to a Fantastic Four movie, that all of this gets ready to go with about like two months, and then the movie is is getting getting up and, and running. I think it's fairly impressive. I think that Ant-Man, for me, is a movie that... I don't know if it's a better movie, Kevin, but I know that it's a movie I enjoy more than Avengers Age of Ultron. And I think that this is a movie that has a lot of the similar baggage as Age of Ultron. A big difference is the auteur cuts bait and dips. Like, it's like, peace, I'm out. Leaves. Uh, where Whedon stuck it through. And I think, it, like, exhaustively so, to a point where, like, you could argue, has he still not yet recovered? Um Edgar Wright does what he thinks is best for his artistic integrity and his mental health and cuts and runs. We are left with a crew that picks up the pieces and creates the movie that we see. Is it an imperfect movie? A million percent. Is it a a little sloppy? Can you see the roughness around the edges? Absolutely. Is it light? You know, does it, does it matter much? Probably not a ton. Is it sort of like, blue-collar Marvel movie? I think to a degree, yeah. Um, But I think that what it has working for it works really, really well. A lot of that stuff is probably Edgar Wright holdover in terms of like the visualizations of how Ant-Man's power set works. But so much of this is is built on the back of the charm of the three leads, of the Michael Pena character. And I think the trust that exists with this cast and Peyton Reed, who does such a good job that they make a second Ant-Man movie and he's back to direct it. And I think that you've got to imagine that he will be back to direct the third and, I would hope, final Ant-Man movie. That I certainly hope brings some Fantastic Four characters into the mix to close the loop on Peyton Reed, who seems like an incredibly nice guy. I have a bias towards this movie, Kevin. I was on set for this one. I got to go to this one. I was on set for this one. I got to see the sets in person. They were wildly impressive. I got to watch them film some of the final fight sequence. I have a, I have a soft spot in my heart, and I cannot view this movie fully objectively up front. Um, but I, I think that this is a better movie than it is given credit for. I know for sure that I am a lot higher on it than you think I should be, and I think that you are probably lower on it than you ought to be. I, I mean, Josh, you, uh, you very 
adequately and admirably presented a lot of points in this and to why you enjoy this movie. Uh, you were upfront about your bias and you talked a lot about the behind the scenes issues. I am going to have to strongly disagree with you on these final verdicts. It's interesting. This might be the first movie that I feel like we're not like at least close to simpatico on yeah. because for me, I definitely enjoyed age of Ultron more, I would say. And bizarrely, I think this is maybe the first movie that we are experiencing where for me, it went down in my enjoyment watching it this time around. Um, there was just a lot in here, and I think you were right. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but where for me, you know, with Age of Ultron, it was so bloated you could see the seams, and this you could almost see the nothing. Like, it was like you said, nothing was there, and and I think that that is unfortunate. There's a lot There's a lot in here that's solid. There's a lot of good, fun stuff. The three buds, you know, uh, Luis... The wombats! Uh, <laughs> the best, yeah, the wombats. The best wombats in the game! Uh, yeah, Luis Dave and I forget the the third guy, but um the guy from The Dark Knight. Uh but they're all great. And to me they're the best part of this film and quite arguably I think everyone acknowledges those are the remnants of Edgar Wright's script or and 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 placement in this and and it shows to me that those are the best parts. The other things there are things that shine. There are things that are really good. I think Paul Rudd is great, but he's to me at the end of the day he's also still Paul Rudd. I actually put Michael Douglas, in my opinion, a little bit higher than Paul Rudd in this movie on this watch. I think he's really great. He's really charming. He's does a, such a fantastic job as Hank Pym, who is a character uh, maligned in comics very bizarrely. Uh, people have issues with Hank Pym as a character, so which is maybe why they went with Scott Lang, who had a different story. I don't know, but well, I think that they're also able to to tell a generational superhero story for the first time in the MCU at this point. Yeah, in a way that I think worked and deal with a story about children and legacy in a way that I think really works. As we, you know, talked about last week with Age of Ultron on my issues there. I think all of those parts of this I think work well, but I think there's so many other points in this movie that really stuck out to me this time around and that I just it didn't it didn't work. There was a lot in here and I don't know I mean, I know what the points are and I can call them out. I mean in you know, in a in a very like easy, not the fault of the movie, but like watching it this time in this atmosphere that stuck out to me is just very much just like, let's talk about the prison system. <laughs> like this movie very much is like Scott Lang is in jail for a white collar crime of stealing from a tech company and goes to jail for it, and it destroys his life essentially. Like there's so much in here about what the prison system can do to a person and that they kind of touch on, but then like just gloss over. Like sure. he can't get a job. He has a problem getting an apartment. These are real issues that people have and people experience for, and again, a white collar crime like that, like, you know, not to get into the specifics of like what crime is what, but like, it's crazy when you think about that. And you think about the people that really suffer because of this, like what he went through, we're supposed to help these people reintegrate back into society. And he can't because there's not enough there to help him. And it honestly, in other parts of it makes, I think the story wobble for me, like the criminally underused Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale, uh, who a side note, if you're going to have Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale in a movie, why would you cast them in a role where they're just kind they're of very both endearing? And they're very endearing in their roles. because of who they are. Sure. They, they're comedic geniuses. Like they are so good at comedy and to have them not do a lot of comedy is crazy. But like Judy Greer's character, like Maggie being like, Scott, you can't see Cassie because he did a white collar crime. <laughs> like, well, who knows so- what, the, what the extent of their, uh, you know, their breakup was. And well, then you know what the job is of the movie to go into that, to, to help support because right now the, pre- the presentation is he went to jail. Therefore he should no longer see his kid. He went to jail for a white collar crime of stealing from a tech company. Like, 
there's so many things to be discussed on that and you could have fixed it with the script you could have had him do something else he like the fact that he did a white collar crime and didn't tell her that's reason for their divorce like i get it they yeah divorce him but the like you can't see cassie anymore because of it there's so much weird intensity and even that line with hank pym where he criticizes him to be like the moment things get hard you turn back to crime yeah because he doesn't have much of a choice and not everyone's gonna have a rich white old dude to support them into becoming a superhero man yeah like so you know that's my soapboxy thing i think there's so many things about the prison system addressed in this movie that is that just was wasted in a way to like gloss over and again cater to like criminal bad that i think they could have done so much more with but that's again that's soapboxy like the other parts of it that i think are problematic are you know not again not even evangeline lily like just that character i think wasn't done well um i think you know in a way it was they they wrote a kind of like um uh like the character was written sexist essentially like they wrote a, a female character and it wasn't done well and like the relationship with her dad worked in some beats but they didn't concentrate on the right parts um her hair guys i know that like they were trying to do the janet van dyne thing from the comics but like this should be a harsh lesson that like sometimes comics don't translate to irl not everyone has the same face structure and you <laughs> putting a wig on a person does not I work it like, i think it might have been real Oh my god, they did that to her hair? That's crazy. Either either, like, either when when she was on set for interviews with myself and other members of the press who were on set for Ant-Man, she either uh, had that as her actual hair uh, and had cut it as such, or she was wearing a wig uh, for our interview. Uh, and I think that she cut it that way, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you for sure. I'm failing everybody on wig watch right now. Well, yeah, there... I mean, it's it was not a good hairstyle and again i get they were trying to match the comics but boy to me that was worse than like loki and thor and thor one like it was pretty bad it's a bold it choice bitter. it's a bold choice it's a bold choice a bold but like choice. that was one of those things where i mean her hair in in ant-man the wasp is fantastic and i think that's that's very much her natural hair and and it's great um but like you know that's like a minuscule thing to it but just i don't know there's just a lot in this movie that is so wobbly even even the like mechanics of it. And I, I hate getting into the mechanics of a superhero film, but like, Hey, what exactly happened at the end? If he has to shrink that, okay. I hate to do this, but like, if he's shrinking down to the subatomic realm to go through the titanium, like the titanium alloy to get inside and he's shrinking forever. How is he one passing through the titanium and how is he doing anything to mess up like, how is he moving any? He can't because he's shrinking forever. So how is how is Yellow Jacket crushing down into nothing if he's not able to do anything? He can't go past because he's just shrinking. Like, the logic of that ending doesn't work. And the same thing, like, with the Janet situation, if that's what happens when you go into the subatomic realm, then the rocket that Janet and Hank were on should have also crushed and shrank down and not just shut off and fell over. Like... That's a weird inconsistency, but it it doesn't make any sense. They were just like, eh, comics, which bugged me a bit that they kind of like walked over that. So I don't know. There was just a lot in here and a lot that I ended up picking apart. And for all the great stuff, like Paul Rudd is great. All the acting is great. I think Evangelina Lily, I'm not going to knock her about her acting in this. I think she did great with what she was given. And unfortunately, she wasn't given a great character. Um, and the parts that shine really do shine. But, like, 
I don't know, man. There was just so many wobbles and falls for every amazing ending fight scene for every amazing, like the parts that are like honey, I shrunk the kids where they're tiny and it's, and it's awesome. There's the other stuff. And it just really didn't work fully for me. That was a lot of no. things just thrown out there. So, so I think what we're hitting on is we are, we are on, we are at like roughly like the same distance away from like the same place but on opposite sides of that line. Um, I think the threads that you are pulling on are not invalid to pull on, but I think you're really only going to pull on them if that is bothering you more than the stuff that's working about this movie is working for you. And for me, the balance is in the complete opposite direction of yours. For me, I, I see those things, you know? Sure, is there, is there some strangeness to the way in which Darren Cross dies uh sure or should should the rocket have shot yes sure fine do i give that much consideration do i think about that a lot not really because paul Rudd's so damn charming and every time he calls an aunt anthony i i laugh so much the things that i think about with this movie are the times that luis uh relates a story and uh leads to the second best stan lee cameo that we've gotten so far which i think is indisputable that this is the second best one so far it's between this and excelsior and i'll give the money to the drunken Excelsior for now. Um, but him with Michael Pena's voice saying crazy, stupid, fine is so crazy, stupid, funny. And there's just a lot of moments like that. It gives me joy to see Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale on screen, even if they're being underutilized to a certain extent, just gives me joy to see those two actors working. Cause I love both of them so much and they are undefeatable, uh, in almost every role that I've seen them in. So I, I love them too, Josh. I want more for them. I, I want that. better and for I, them. Well, I, 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 I get that. And I, and I think like um, missed opportunities with exploring the, the social and, you know, true like physical, real ramifications of going through our criminal justice system and coming out the other side of prison and how difficult it is to reintegrate into society and how we just do not help people. Um, I think that that is all very, very worthy territory to explore that I agree is not explored nearly enough. So I'm not saying that this is like a slam dunk lights out movie, but I, but I think that those things that are weighing the movie down for you towards um, uh, going like somewhere towards like, middle like upper middle mediocrity for you uh i think that this for me is like lower greatness so i think that that's where we are we're close it is it is probably our biggest gulf yet in terms of where we are standing on one of these movies but i think it is because the balance is just a bit off all of these things are there for me like this is a movie that has a lot of different parents in terms of the creation of the film. And that is that is something that um, we talked about with Age of Ultron. It's something we talked about with The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk scores very low for me because so many of those ingredients ultimately don't matter. Um, Age of Ultron scores relatively well for me because I think a lot of the stuff it does well and the importance of it and the ripple effects of that movie um, may, like boost the failings of the movie up for me. And as discussed... Uh, Ultron, creepy mouth and all, is just a terrific character for me. Um, I think in similar ways, 
Ant-Man sets up things that work really well moving forward, but in and of itself as its own product, given how difficult it was to, to make this movie, given that this movie, like, in, like I said, like probably should have been abandoned if not for the fact that they were just too far in. You can't abandon it at this point. We just have to keep going. The fact that they're able to keep going and this is the movie that they come out with is a pretty impressive feat to me boosts the movie up in my esteem and helps me to forgive some of the wobbliness that you're seeing Um, because the strength of the stuff that's working is working pretty well for me. And I, and I don't, it's, it's not great podcasting. You would think that us like really disagreeing on this one would lead to great podcasting because we're going to fight and that would be fun. But I, I actually don't think it's, I think that the reasons why we're far away on this one, to me, are rather simple to define. I really think it's like all of the things that I am observing about the movie and all of the things that you are observing about the movie are all correct. And it is about like what volume adjustment you are putting on those things. The volume is low for you and the volume is high for me. I think what it really says is that I care about quality of work and the details going into a story. <laughs> you asshole. And you You're like shiny lights, Joshua. Uh, <laughs> no, because the like, stuff about the movie that I like the most isn't the shiny lights. You know, the stuff that no, I like totally. the most it's, is, is, is uh, like the character work and the jokes. I love a heist movie, man. And this is like a fairly harmless, well, good, fun heist it? movie. Yeah, it, it is. It's a heist movie, though, because like heist movies have certain defining qualities and then they didn't really put a team together in terms of like the way a typical heist movie does like at the end they, they kind of like swing it where it's just like they'll be in the car and they're gonna hack this and Luis will go inside and he has the ants but like the, the usual things of a heist movie didn't really play out i think watching this especially because i've been watching you know i love heist movies as well and i just watched uh uh now you see me which is actually a pretty well done heist movie i haven't um, seen it if not weird movie um, but like the, the things about a heist movie weren't always translated all the way through. And I think that got into the muddling of the script and diffusing with a superhero film. Sure. Um, like instead of having the scene where you're seeing all the heist characters essentially show off their skills and figure out how to work together, we have a training montage, which is fine, but it's also like a training montage is something we've seen and experienced before. So it wasn't adding to me something new. They, and again, that parts were, were funny. They were great. But like before we even get to the, the, the stuff that we like, and I think they're the things that we like, we both like. There's like the two things I do want to just pick your brain on and discuss. One is silly, but let's go with this one. Um, here's something that Robin and I ended up discussing about this, but um, I, I, I wanted to express here, right? Hank Pym seems to have somehow mastered the ability of quantum physics and talking to ants. Mm-hmm. How? Those are two <laughs> such entirely different <laughs> fields of study. It's, the only way it somewhat works is that he mastered quantum physics and then he ran around as Ant-Man for a while and realized, oh man, being Ant-Man is hard. I should recruit some help. I know. I'll make a way to talk to ants because my name is Ant-Man. And yeah. I know the answers because it came from the comics. But it's also so wacky. No, it's to just like, be uh, like, look. He can shrink and grow, but also control ants. We, like, we, what? Co- we contain multitudes, Kevin. You know, as somebody oh. who, was a, who was a double major in college, you know, I was an English major and a psychology major. It's why I'm incredibly creative and empathetic. Uh, <laughs> I have both of those skills mastered. Um, you know, I think he, he majored in quantum physics and ants. See, but that doesn't, yeah, like, he likes both things. He likes both things. I like pizza. I like peanut butter. The two don't necessarily fit together. 
they're so different though like with peter parker i can appreciate because like you know there's an argument to be made organic versus um uh self-made webs even when looking at the self-made webs it makes sense that peter parker could develop that because they establish he biology and chemistry that's his field of study so like makes sense talking to ants what but even beyond that, obviously that that's a more of a joke one. That's a silly thing to point maybe, out. I, I maybe do, because uh, at the quantum level, they're just vibing on the same frequency. And it's like a happy accident that he's like, oh, shit, I could talk to ants. I could, still, I could talk to ants when I'm this small. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, there, th- that's, that, that's whatever. The other thing that is more interesting, and it's mainly because I remember this discussion happening a lot um, after the movie came out, and I really wanted to kind of like look into it a little bit more when I watched it this time, because a lot of people said a big issue with this, and you kind of hit on it before, is like, oh, it's another like you know cis white dude who becomes a superhero, and people who watch this is just like, Hope should have just been the Ant-Man like to begin with. like She's skilled, she should have done it. Watching this movie, I don't know if I fully agree with that. I think as a character, while Hope has certain skills that can translate, I don't think it it necessarily means like you just get it because you're like, I deserve it. I also feel like that's a weird philosophy for a hero. Like it felt very odd because her entire reasoning about like why I should be Ant-Man is because I deserve to be, which that's Red Skull, like that was like his whole thing is like, I deserve to be the best. I deserve to have the super social serum. That's never a good reason to be a hero because you think you deserve it. Um, But even beyond that, she also turns her phone sideways when she's texting. Sociopath (laughs) behavior, sociopathic (laughs) behavior. Who does that? She didn't know. She didn't know the evil dude was obviously evil. Like she voted her dad out. Are now examining their dad out. Yeah, like oh, I look at it. She voted. Yeah, like that's that's crazy talk. But she, yeah, she voted her dad out of the board when that dude was so clearly evil. Why would she have made that decision? And was to there, her was credit, Darren Cross uh, evil at that point? Had he oh, well, so uh, that was such a throwaway yeah. line, though, right? Yeah. Like at the end, the like you were never like this. It's 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 the 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 the, the serum that's just like wait what when when that's the thing that yeah, we're going because okay. this movie was written in two months, and so that's the thing. Okay. That's why I'm saying like this is not that complicated <laughs> of an issue, unfortunately. Like I think but that's a big issue. <laughs> yeah, like the, but it, it, that's a big issue to you and to me. Like I guess I don't care that much in the face of the things that I like about it. What I like about the Darren Chris character. Uh, Darren Cross. Darren Cross. Darren Chris was, is someone else. If it was Darren Chris, what a movie <laughs> that would be pretty been. dope. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I Corey Stoll. I'm gonna, I'm gonna compliment first. Uh, one of the most, uh, uh, one of the most like attractive uh, young bald men on the planet. I think uh, rocks it to the point that when he's rocking a wig on the strain, Strigoi, uh, he looks so odd in the wig. Cause he's like iconically bald and rocks it in an incredible way. Um, so there's that. I wish I liked him more as an actor. I w- like, I think like Corey Stoll is one of those actors that like you should like more than, than, uh, like you're supposed to really like him. He's a good actor. I, I actually thought I did. I think he's a little like wooden him for as- me generally. I like the character. I like the yeah, character. I, I do think that's part of Corey Stoll, though. I think he brought energy to the role that helped elevate it beyond everything we've seen, which is bald guy in a suit he's, that's evil. He's, I mean, like, the, he's the bad guy on Billions right now. I, I, I don't think you watch Billions. Uh, no. And it's on hiatus at the moment. But he's like basically like the, the antagonist of the season. He's basically just playing 
Darren Cross again. Like, he just sort of has, like, a similar cadence and delivery to everything that, like, I don't know, feels like it's, like, he's reading a script sometimes to me. Um, That being said, I think that there are some things that he does extraordinarily well. Like, I think that he plays Petty really well. I think that he plays, like, that Joffrey note of, like, you know, petulance (laughs) uh, pretty well. Um, And I I, I do love the... the, I, I think that he and Hope are Hank's kids essentially right you know if Scott is sort of like um the like the 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 boyfriend that's being vetted for you know by the overprotective father if like he's the Ben Stiller and Hank is the Robert De Niro um I think that uh that Hope is the Terry Polo and uh Darren is the Owen Wilson to put the meet the fuckers of it all together. I think that like these are his kids, these are his people and the the story of hope is how the story of both of them is how shitty parenting can destroy the offspring. Um and how um Darren cannot rise above those petty uh grievances that aren't petty grievances. They're deep deeply felt hard earned painful grievances towards Hank, his father figure, to whom he he put on a pedestal. He put this man on a pedestal. He loved him. Everything that he ever learned, he learned at this guy's knee, and then he felt extraordinarily jilted by him. And everything that he is doing in this movie is motivated by this maniacal, look at me now, dad. Um, and Hope is not that far away from those emotions either, um, is also the offspring, the literal biological offspring of Hank and Janet and is, uh, you know, basically raised by um, a traumatized parent, uh, is raised by uh, a widower who doesn't know how to emotionally show up because he's so afraid to lose her. And it, is, it, is it a little tropey? Maybe. But, like, is that also probably, like, fairly realistic? Yeah. I, I don't think that it's not. I think I think that, like, parents... You know, they, they screw up their kids. And and sometimes the kids crumble into, you know, microscopic goo under the weight of those screw-ups from a parent. And other times they they fight through uh, and get their own suit eventually. Uh, would I have liked to have seen this movie, like, be done differently so that uh, Hope is Wasp all the way through and like in the armor and everything. And she gets to earn that and is like, um, you know, a participant in the the final act of the movie in that way. Absolutely. That would have been my preference. My preference would have been for them to have had at least two additional months to make this movie, uh, to write the script. I think a lot of things get, get ironed out there. Um, but I think that those, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm reckoning with like some difficult feelings towards, towards my own family right now is, is something that you're catching me in that like this movie hit well, uh, this movie hit well. And like, made me think about some of the ways in which I was raised and some of the, the, the conversations that I feel like I need to have with the people who made me. Um, and I, I think that there is something sort of like mythical and relatable about the way that that is represented in this movie that I guess isn't going to work from every, for everybody. It's not done with all the nuance that it could be done with because this is a rushed movie. Um, and it's in a lot of ways like it's an unfinished movie. But I think the the charm of it married with those thematics, which I think are important thematics uh, and have not been explored better in the MCU up to this point, I don't think, um, hits me more positively than it hits uh, maybe for other people, yourself included. 
Well, here's my challenge to you, Josh, in this particular thing, because you, cool. you talked about the parent aspect, right? And I think there is something definitely there, especially with the way that it, that it affected um, uh, Yellow Jacket, and certainly in the way that it affected Hope. Yes, the way Hank raised her obviously has done things to her um, psychologically that that we see reflected. But my issue then also with this character, my challenge to you about it is going back to what I was saying. This is a sexist character because. The whole thing, right? Like, looking aside, like, the jokes about, like, she's a sociopath, she feels like she deserves it, so she shouldn't have it. Michael Douglas's main reason for not wanting her in the suit is the fear that he was going to lose his child, which you, you are correct, is a legitimate, reasonable fear. The challenge becomes, would he have acted and said the same things and done the same things if it was a son versus a daughter? And while we won't ever know the reason that it is a daughter, because in the comics, it's not, it's his wife. There is no, there is no daughter hope that exists. They made it a daughter because that is something that happens in stories that are sexist, where that dad has to protect a daughter and doesn't act the same way to the son. That is a sexist take on the character. That is a disservice to me. So I agree with you, but I think Two months script that you still, especially now, I can't not look at that and feel that and just be like, the reasonings were sexist and the characters sure. were in to be a sexist trope. And even beyond that, too, like it's like like you said, maybe if the two months would have been better, maybe they could have twisted it because there are reasons to me looking at this movie that hope not being the one who pulls off the heist at the end makes sense because if they failed, because failure is always an option, if they failed, they would have been screwed. Hope was the only one in there in the company on the board, so she had a controlling stake. If they got caught, they were done. It's over. It's out. That is legitimate reason. They never talk about it. They never bring it up. The entire reasoning is because he's afraid to lose her because it's his daughter. And yes, he lost his wife the same way. Again, also a bit tropey, but it's just problematic. And the same thing reflects it in him not telling his daughter uh, him not telling Hope like what happened to the mom like and again it's me being very nitpicky about screenwriting stuff in a two month script which again explains a lot but like he was like I didn't tell you to because I was trying to protect you from what that's my issue it's a cliche line I was trying to protect you is a cliche line writers use it all the time in stories over and over again but usually they take the context to be like protect you from blank in this case what is he protecting her from the truth about how her mother died what is what what would that have done? That would have repaired your relationship. There was nothing dangerous or injurious about it. And instead, if the argument was I was trying to protect myself because if I told you the truth that your mom and I were secret spies and she died on a mission and you would have pushed me away, congratulations, that happened anyway. Yeah. Like it's just such such a thing where I can appreciate parent stories done and I can appreciate the depth of it, but it was just done in ways, especially watching it now, that I was like, man, that's so I don't know. Again, it's a disservice to what Hope could have been as a character. All my talk about Hope, I feel like she could have been a great character if they wrote that character to not be a sexist trope, essentially, at the end of yeah. the day. Um, you know. But that said, flipping it, I will say this. What I just brought up, something I did love. I loved, loved the idea of Ant-Man and the Wasp as like a secret government superhero agency thing. Like that's so cool. I, I I'm to be fair, like certain things hit your sensibility. That really hit my sensibility. I'm such a sucker for that. Yeah. There's like a great um, comic comic reference um, about to throw out comic recommendation. Um, JSA, the Liberty files is a elseworld story, which means it's not main continuity. It takes place on another earth. It's, it's DC comics. Thing. Yeah. It's DC comics. But I love that because the premise of that is that essentially three superheroes, uh, 
Batman, Our Man, and Dr. Midnight are known in this universe as the Bat, the Clock, and the Owl. And they were like secret spies during World War II. So like they were involved in the World War II espionage, but no one ever really knew about it. It was all in secret. A really well done series, but it's exactly like this. And I loved it. I loved the idea of Ant-Man and the Wasp as like this secret, you know, superheroes that no one knew about. Like they were spies. Like that was really cool to me. And that was one of the cool ideas that I do think is in this. All the shrunken stuff I mentioned, I thought was great. I love whenever they were Honey, I Shrunk the Kids Down and oh, like so you fine. see them running around like that. Those are cool stuff. So there are things I really liked, but the other stuff really just hooked me this time. I don't know what it was, but they really got me. And I was just like, I have problems, you know? No, you, I don't know. Well, not not as a, you have problems with the movie. Uh, you're per- well, you're also I have problems. You're, full fla- stuff. you're a flawless individual <laughs> beyond that. I again think that everything that you're saying is fair. I think it's like, again, it's, I, it's bad because I, I, it's bad podcasting because I just think it, it comes down to like, I, I agree with that. I think it hits, it doesn't hit me as harshly as the things that work for me work for me. It's not a, this is not a great movie. This is not like, you know, a top, this is going to be a bottom half Marvel movie for sure, uh, in the, in the grand accounting of things. Um, but, uh, it hits better for me than Thor, you know? <laughs> It certainly. I think that's also accurate for me. I think I did rank it above Thor. You know, one, it hits so. better for me than Thor. It hits better than me for me than than some of these things. Um, so I don't know. I, I I know you know we're recording this pretty late. Um, so so it's it's going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast than than usual. I do want to get into the feedback already, um, and I I think that this is this is worth getting into uh, that we have some community reviews that I think kind of touch on. Uh, you know, three different points in in what we're talking about in terms of levels of enjoyment. Um, this is from David. David writes in, Most MCU movies, I can find something to enjoy that keeps me engaged. Not this one. The story sucked. The villain sucked. The supporting characters sucked. I spent the entire movie alternating between irritated and incredulous. I'd give the movie a rating, but I feel like I'd need to rewatch the movie to do that, and I never want to watch this thing again. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's from david um, okay i'm not that harsh on it <laughs> you know again this, there are things i like i just talked about the spy stuff i sure, love that sure. i love the louise bits there are things i like guys <laughs> sure so this is from philippe philippe writes in this has to be said ant-man slaps this was my first <laughs> watch it definitely dragged during the second act but i had such a great time that i don't get the hate curious to hear about it on the podcast but comedic heist movies are my jam, so I'm biased. So that's Philippe. This is Lawson, okay? Because I'm not as high on it as, as Philippe sounds like, right? Um, this is from Lawson. Lawson writes in, I thought this movie was a lot of fun, and Paul Rudd brought a fun energy. Reminded me a little of Chris Pratt, actually. This movie was fun, but not necessarily anything great. That's where I land. <laughs> that's where I'm at. It's, not, it's I'm not, not great, but it's fun. This is a fun movie. It had fun parts. I, I don't disagree with you there. And I think my, my, my harshness towards a lot of it, you know, it, this movie is not going to be as low as I'm making it sound to be, but I definitely just didn't. I felt a lot of other parts outweighed the really good stuff, like the Louise bits and the ending fight, which we, I'm, I'm certain we're going to talk we'll about. We'll talk about Because that. that's certainly a standout part of this for sure. movie, for sure. For sure. Um, 
The cold open. This is from D. Towery. Uh, the opening scene with Agent Carter and Howard Stark was a nice surprise, but man, did Agent Carter look good to be almost 70 years old at that point. Uh, Sam Moore had also brought up the point. Uh, why do they have... Uh, why does Why does Howard Stark age from one human being into a totally different human <laughs> being? But uh, Peggy Carter and Hank Pym and whoever the hell the Martin Donovan character is uh, are all all just digitally de-aged. Yeah, that, that is one of those things. Cooper right? Cast- got hosed. Yeah, casting is what happened. They cast John Slatterly first. Yeah. <laughs> is what happened on that. They screwed that up. Do you like? Did, how did the the digital de-aging work for you? Um, any differently this time than the first time you watched it? Like, what what was your take on all of that? No, I was actually fine with it. I mean, and the same thing. I think first time to this time, I actually got watch. Digital- you got to watch the mouth. Again, oh, is that, Ultron, is that the weird thing? The mouth is I the never watched it. Why are you watching people's mouths there's so intensely? Un, I never some, watch people's mouths, some, Josh. There's some uncanny valley quality to it. That's so weird. I never pay attention to that. I was going to say it looked good to me. The same thing in uh, Endgame when they have young Michael Douglas again. I thought he looked great in the DH stuff. Strange um, hair there as well. He's got like yeah, a big, the big helmet hair. Uh, yeah, but keep, an eye, the keep an eye out on young, digitally de-aged Robert Downey Jr. next week for Civil War. Oh, man. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look at his mouth. I don't like looking at mouths, but here we are. Keep an, eye, <laughs> keep an eye out for it. I think that they're improving the technology, and they're pretty close here. They're just not all the way there. Uh, the great Professor Strunk, who is uh, a professor not only of law, but also quantum physics and ants. Uh, professor Strunk says, hot take. Am I the only one who ever thought from the jump that Ant-Man's power set wasn't ridiculous? I get the whole talking to ants thing is weird, but being able to shrink or expand your size at will, that's not ridiculous. That defies the law of the laws of physics and is one of the most powerful things a person could do. I submit that the people who think Ant-Man is silly, the way Squirrel Girl is silly, are focusing exclusively on the ant part and ignoring the actual shrinking slash expanding. Shrinking and expanding is awesome. Cool I love power. it. Like cool honestly, power. it's a what was that? Cool power. A, yeah, it is a really cool power, and I think they use it really well in this. And like once he gets the growth stuff, it's really really cool. Uh, and I think that's part of the thing that really excels in the next movie is that they they focus more on that than they do the ants part because that part is silly. The talking ants part is definitely silly, but the growing and shrinking is really cool. It's um it's a power set that you don't often see actually in comics. And I think is uh, unfortunate because it is cool and it's different, you know, and they utilize it really well in this movie and they really, really utilize it moving forward in a very visually cool way. Some, some takes on Corey Stoll as Darren Cross. Um, uh, this is from Hart. Corey Stoll gets completely wasted as Yellowjack and a wildly two-dimensional foil for the titular hero. He's Ant-Man, but evil and bald. Um, <laughs> put, put in a harsher way, Mike Edwards writes, Darren Cross is a level of vanilla that just hurts. <laughs> He's not even that good vanilla. He's like that vanilla that has like the weird texture whenever you eat it. it that's the vanilla he is. He's got, not even a good. He's got like uh, the vanilla beans diced up. Yeah, he's it. got the vanilla beans in there. It's just like, oh no, it's why a, is that gritty? I don't it's like, like it. A gritty, pulpy vanilla ice cream. Um, yeah, it's gross. Uh, Matt H writes in: Michael Douglas as Hank Pym is the MVP of this movie. He's able to show us that Hank has a lot of flaws and a lot of baggage, and we can see why Hank alienated everybody in his life. But it's important that Michael. Douglas is able to pull this off without making the audience hate or root against the character. At the same time, Hank's redemption arc goes forward without distracting from the film's main character who has a redemption arc of his own. 
Uh, yeah, I called out. I think Michael Douglas is really great in this film. I have a question, Josh. Actually, now this comes up. You're a comic book person. When you when you hear Hank Pym, what do you think of? I think of Hank Pym punching his wife. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, in, this the, com- is in the comic books, Hank Pym uh, abuses Janet, right? Well, so this is a thing, and I, I really should have done the research hard on this one because this is a thing that gets called out about Hank Pym a lot. And um, certainly, I think in the Ultimate Universe, it is no question. It is a. It is a. This just it's a scene, and it is a point that happens. But now. In the comics, Hank Pym hit his wife at one point, um, and people call it out like constantly. And yes, that's that is bad. Um, but I should have done the research ahead of time because one of our friends from the Wizard days, old uh, T.J. Deach, has pointed out before that when that happened, apparently it happened once, and Hank was mind controlled at the time. So interesting. That actually would make it really weird because he also called out where at other points in old comics, Reed Richards has like smacked sue before not mind controlled and no one talks talks about about that and it would be a weird thing like i want to go look it up now and i want everyone else like to to throw in their takes here if you know already and you're typing up as you hear this like listen this is the issue and this is what happened but it'd be such a weird thing that hank pym is defined by that moment and if that moment was when he was mind controlled it's really weird that everyone latches onto that now as this is defining trait. Well, the thing Hank I think Pym. about Hank Pym now is Michael Douglas. So some image rehab for Hank. That's Pym true. That's movie. true. I think Marvel has uh, the movies have redeemed Hank Pym because it's Michael I Douglas think the be- and he the best thing that they, cares deeply about his life. The best thing they did for Hank Pym was like he was one of the first superheroes a long time ago. We can assume many adventures were had, and that's it. And now we meet him as a sad old man who is trying to stop his his creation from getting out into the wild and destroying the world while also trying to reconcile like how to be like how to how to have a loving trusting relationship with other people um i think that that is just a much better look for the character and basically like almost kind of like turns like it's almost like if if one of the thor movies was like thor and odin as like the two drivers of the story um, rather than like Thor and Loki. Like I, I think like having the mentor as like a co-lead, you know, this is like Marty McFly and doc Brown uh, is what's going on here. You know, I love that reference. So, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that that's, I think that's good. I, I think that that's a, that's a smart way to go. Um, we have some people who poured one out for, for Anthony Luke Edwards said, rest in peace, Anthony. Uh, coming in at a at a seven out of eleven on the saddest death rankings. I don't I don't know if I have the rest of Luke's sad death rankings, but that uh, is it just in the MCU or is it just or is it, is it of, all, all of all deaths of all, of all deaths? The, that's the, seven out of <laughs> the top eleven deaths of all time. Anthony the Ant comes in at number seven. Um, which one Which one was sadder for you, Josh? Because I actually I'm curious about this. Is it Is it Anthony in this or the Ant in uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids? It's not competitive. It's the Ant in Honey I Shrunk the Kids, and it's not even close. It's true. That it's was very, very that, true. Was, that scene was that scene was rough. That was, scene was you know, brutal. Formative shit for me. That was traumatizing. That was yeah. really, really tough. Robin did not care about either. <laughs> um, she's a monster. You're an angel. <laughs> she's a monster. Uh, Jen Connell writes in, Hey, heist crew, welcome to Wombat Nation. Yeah, there's the moment where, uh, where Scott calls in Luis and his friends, and uh, Hank says, No way, I'm not working with any of these wombats. And I was like, Yes! <laughs> yes! 
Get They're it. good people to have as part of the nation. The Wombat I'm Nation. I'm thrilled for to sure. have them in the nation. I can't <laughs> believe that I have them in the nation. Can you imagine Louis doing a survivor recap? Oh my god, with a hat on? <laughs> Louis during a wand off? Like, wow, that was crazy, stupid, fine. You know, which is <laughs> absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, all right, let's get into some rankings. Let's not dilly-dally here. We have to go a little bit quicker this week. Um, we're on opposite sides of a line here, Kevin. Uh, I think we're probably separated by, like, close to a full point, I think. Um, I'm a 4.3 out of 6. Um, that is definitely higher than me. You're, I'm not you're a three as low. You're a 3.5. I'm looking at the chart 3.5. Right yeah. 3.5 is where I'm at. And again, see, this is what I mean, because I think you are right, where, to me, at the end of the day... This is a perfectly middle of the ground movie. I think this should be a four. Just, I think like I think in in a in a real world, I think we should be we should both be fours, but uh, we can't we, we can't get there. We can't get. It's there. It's just too high because like I liked it more than Thor, right? But I didn't like it more than Age of Ultron. So just based on the rankings sure. I've given, this is the perfect spot for it. And a lot of that point five is definitely like. I will say right now, 0.25, Luis, the other 0.25, the ending fight, which we'll talk about shortly, I'm sure. Yes. Um, and the audience is uh, closer to you than they are to me. Um, the audience is a 3.6. Uh, the audience is a 3.6. So you're, They know what's up. This is, you're a 3.5. <laughs> I'm a 4.3. But there were people who were really, really high on Ant-Man. Uh, there's, were there any sixes? If there was a six, that's crazy. Let me, let me, crazy, stupid, fine. No, there was a four and a half. There's a four... Uh, there's a five. There's a five there's a on five. the board. There's wow. a five on the board. It doesn't get higher than five. I think five is high. I think my score is probably higher than it should be. Uh, and I think there's personal biases at, at work. Uh, there's some nostalgia baked into this movie for me. Um, and I watched this. I watched this wanting something that was like a good cathartic time, uh, and that's what I got. So I I was happy with it. Totally appreciate and respect where you're coming from with it um actually the the averages have changed since last i checked this it's a 3.5 from the listeners as well uh so a 3.5 from kevin a 3.5 from the listeners 4.3 from me gives this a 3.77 overall and it still clocks in above thor uh we wondered is this gonna which side of avengers age of ultron will this land will it be higher than avengers age of ultron or will it be lower than avengers age of ultron but it'll be right next to it it is ultimately beneath avengers age of ultron which is a 3.96 to ant-man's 3.77 i'm not gonna fight that i've got no real argument towards that i think that to- that's totally fair and valid it's not my take but i <laughs> I, I, I appreciate and can completely see uh the logic behind it for for everybody else um well the villains are going to be an interesting discussion then <laughs> sure so uh for the villains uh for the villains i give yellow jacket a 2.9 <laughs> that seems high that seems high it does feel high talk, talk 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 me through that one um because i think i like his story and i think i i i i do love the um i love the tension between him and hank and i i love i i think that for the cory stole bashing that i did before i do think he does petulance very well and i and i love the petulance of yellow jacket and i love that the the movie doesn't even really try to hide that he's like gone like full maniac. Like the scene where he zaps the dude into goo in the bathroom is awesome. It's great. I actually really love, you're right, that part of it, right? Like my ranking, I will say I gave him a two. It's not super high, but I gave him a two because I do like that he's a villain who is just like, 
nah, I'm evil. Like that's that's my I'm deal like, here. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but like the things that, you know, detract from me is again, bald guy in a suit. He has the same power set, whatever. But also it it comes to a lot of issues that we've I've thrown out about the other villains is that they don't have a conne- he doesn't have a connection to the hero. He has a connection to the dad, basically, right? Like even by your analogy, he's connected to Hank Pym as a almost surrogate father than to uh, Scott Lang. Like I think if if they had a moment where um, uh, Yellow Jacket and and what is his real name? Now that I'm blanking. Darren Cross. Darren Cross. I keep I keep in Darren mind. Chris. Like, Darren, Darren Chris. Darren yeah. Chris. Um. I think if Darren and Scott had some shared moment, if they had a discussion or anything about like, you know, like Scott coming in as a new surrogate son, as the new person, you know, taking over that role, I think you could have had that connection that would have made the character work a lot better. But because like, again, he's connected to someone who's connected to the hero as opposed to the hero itself, it, it really doesn't work as well as it should as a villain. And again, just because also he is a bald evil guy in a suit, I think that it just is also boring because we've seen it so much. I am, sure. and funny enough, I'm I I don't know. Like you called out that scene, and I really do like that scene. I like that moment where he when they were gonna shoot Hank, and he's like, no, 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 this is wrong, this is wrong. I should be the one who do. Like, yeah, there is something in Corey Stoll's delivery, and I haven't seen him in other stuff, so it's hard to like say this is just how he is. But I did like that. I think in the same way that like Jeff Bridges helped a bit with the character, I think the two is a well, lot of it is just that's, Corey Stoll. That's a, that's a piece of this for me for sure. Uh, in in terms of the estimation of him, because I have him in like a very similar tier to uh, to Justin Hammer and Obadiah Stane, um, but I, I I have him you know just a a, a shot below that, uh, and I have him almost a full point past Aldrich Killian because I just don't care about what he stands for. Uh, whereas with Yellow Jacket, I think he stands at least for something that is um, closer to unique. Um, maybe not all the way there uh, because of the delivery, but I think that the idea they're striving for there um, is is distinct from what they're trying to do with just like other generic uh, corporate bad guy, Aldrich Killian. But he's just not as fun as Sam Rockwell, and he's no Jeff Bridges. Uh, so a 2.9 is where I landed him. And again, probably high. You're a 2. The audience is the two. Uh, 2.3 is where we land for Yellow Jacket, and he is the 12th best villain uh, in the Infinity Stone rankings as it stands. There's two post-credit scenes. One of them is just a scene from Civil War, right? Yeah, like that. when that happened, I was like, doesn't this, doesn't this happen in Civil War? Isn't this just a cut? I, get, I guess we have to count it. Um, but like, I'm, I mean, we counted, we counted the cap, right? We because counted, the we counted, America we counted was, the Captain yeah. America scene that's in the Avengers at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger. And I think I gave that a one. Uh, and so I'm just going to follow suit here and give this a one. Like, it's a totally great scene, but like, it's literally just a scene from the other movie. You're just giving us a preview. Yeah, and I, I gave it a two, which, you know, I gave the original cap 1.5 because it got me hyped for Avengers. And this does get me hyped even now a little bit for Civil War. Um, but not that hyped, right? Like, because it's just sort of like, oh, right, okay, yeah, all right. I guess again, like, I guess it varies on your mileage of Bucky. Yeah, and I love the Wasp suit. And I, well, you see, really, we had different views. Really, you really don't. Is there a lot more to parse out there, or is it all of the same stuff that we've? Uh, it's the same stuff yep. because, like, it, it it was an ending that didn't feel like it was an earned ending. It was an ending that felt like it had to just happen because it was going to set up the future. Now, this is again, like, I think. For its place in the movie and what it does, it's a one for me. It's pretty low. But 
that said, like, again, Wasp in Ant-Man to Wasp, she's great. And her as a character is going to be a lot higher than me on that go around um, than in this movie. And I think it's exactly that, though. Like, it's a one because it's it just didn't feel earned at the end of this. It just felt like, all right. And now the moment where she has to see that she has a suit, and then she's like, "Okay, yeah, uh, all right, cool." I just, you know? I just love Evangeline Lilly, so I'm, I'm biased. I mean, at least she wasn't in a love triangle in this movie. So <laughs> sure. props to her for that. Which guys, stop doing that to her. She requests that you didn't do it in The Hobbit, and you did it anyway to her, which is me. These, mo- these, these uh, post-credit scenes both rank pretty low in the grand scheme of things. If the 16 post-credit scenes so far, the Wasp suit is the 11th best post-credit scene. And the Civil War teaser is the third best, uh, the the third worst, fourteenth uh, overall. Um, so that makes sense to me. Uh, we've got two rankings to discuss: uh, the Stanley cameo rankings, which is uh, Stanley saying "crazy, stupid, fine" in the middle of a Louis story, is the second best Stanley cameo so far for sure. Right? We're in lockstep. Uh, yeah, that. we're 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 definitely simpatico on that one. It's, it is it's funny. Fantastic. It, 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 the trend continues. The worse the movie. <laughs> uh, the the better the Stan Lee cameo so far. Uh, it's pretty close to that. Um, that is true. <laughs> final battle rankings. Yes, I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, let's talk about this. I mean, the final battle, I think, is easily one of the best parts of this movie, right? This and final I'm... battle is unlike anything we have seen in any of these movies yet. Yes, but parts of it, right? Like, parts of it felt very much just like, okay, yeah, that's that's some of the, the usual fighting stuff. The parts that stand out, of course, is where they utilize the power in the environment. And I'm really curious, actually. Like, I attribute that to Edgar Wright, but there's no... Is there a record of... I don't was know. That Edgar Wright I don't know. I don't know. I wish... I, you know, I don't want to disservice Peyton Reed for this, um, because that scene is great. And if it was him, awesome. Like, when they... Like, it's the comedic turn of it, right? Because, like, Ant-Man's power, yes, it's really cool, but there is a silliness to it. And when you get that moment where they're in the briefcase and you see all these things, you throw in the lifesaver, uh, lifesaver, not saver, and then they cut back and it's just a briefcase falling into the water. Phenomenal. And the train moment, I think. So funny. It's so funny. Easily, yeah. If it's just a train moment, it's easily one of the top two, I think, fight moments in in, in all of the the, the fights. It's just such a great thing to see the train fall over and then get thrown and land on the windowsill. It's hysterical. It's great. It's hysterical. If if the entire fight scene was that, if there was a lot more of that, I think it would be arguably like top two, maybe maybe number one. (laughs) But... Uh, as it stands, I, I have to say it's high, but I don't think it, it, it right, beats so, out so our current number one and twos. Okay, so it's it's absolutely not going to beat our current number one and twos. I'm I'm con- you convinced me last week of the greatness of the final Age of Ultron scene. I'm there with you. Its first Avengers is still number one. Its Age of Ultron is still number two. What we have in the three and four spots, the three, four, and five spots currently in order: Captain America, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy. Iron Man 3. I am I'm not going to hear that the Ant-Man final fight scene isn't top 5 baby at this point. Where it oh, it's lands absolutely top, top 5. Okay, good. So like it's it, I think it is for sure ahead of Iron Man 3. Um, I can agree, yeah. And then for for me the question is negotiating where we land it in relation to Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America the Winter Soldier cuz I think I would go above both of them. Honestly, yeah. 
Yeah, it's those a, bits. It's, it's they're they're tiny little creatures that are fighting in a briefcase and then on a playset, and that yes. that is and where they are choosing to put this movie in the in the final uh, in the and final. And it's great. Act. It's really smart. It does it does what I want. After from the seeing thing, like which... London get destroyed in Dark World and Star Trek in the <laughs> Darkness and like all this other shit, like it's just it's just Thomas the Tank Engine man. Yeah, who grows giant, and they actually grow the ant giant. Like, yeah, for sure, I think it's got to be in that number three spot. Cool. I think they, they, it, it does what I wanted for an action scene. And not only that, it, it not only took advantage of the environment, it also took advantage of unique power set. And it's great. Like, that, I will give it, I will give this movie that. Like, great. it's clearly a thing that, like, we loved and everyone else loved because we see a lot more of that type of play in Ant Man and the Wasp and to great success, in my opinion. All right, so there you go. Uh, those are the things. Uh, that's Ant-Man. A smaller podcast is appropriate for Ant-Man. I yeah, think. isn't it? <laughs> it's not smaller by a ton. It's smaller by probably like 20 minutes or so. Uh, yeah, but still, it's a little shrunken well, down. Well, especially because I expect next week we're going to have a lot to talk about. You know, we've we've done like breaks between phases. This is officially the end of phase two. But the phases are fairly arbitrary, especially because phase three is this monstrous phase uh, of just like so much movie. Um, that I don't think, let, let's not take a break next week. Let's go straight into Captain America Civil War. Because I feel like that is actually the end of this current arc that we're in. I feel like Captain America Civil War is like the building, but rather than being like the, the bridge point from which phase three starts, this feels like the ending of something. This is the end of an era of innocence for the Avengers. Um, so we're going to, I think let's do Civil War next week and then maybe some shenanigans the week after to stop down and look at phase two in a, in a bigger way. But let's, let's keep going while we've got some momentum from Age of Ultron to carry us into Civil War for next week's conversation, which I'm sure will be on the longer side uh, of these podcasts. I'm pumped. I mean, Civil War, I think, is, is, is easily one of my top films of the MCU. I really love the villain from my memory. Um, and I do think phase three, as it says, I think you're right. I think this feels like the ending of phase two more than it does the beginning of phase three. But I think um, the, the, the uh, um, uh, uh, quality of villains start going up in phase three. And I'm interested to see if that plays out across the board. But I remember really liking a lot of the villains in phase three are going to be some of my top villains for sure. Yeah. 100%. Um, so phase, I'm pretty pumped about that. People are like, how would you rank the phases of the Marvel movies? This is not hard. It's three, one, two. Yeah, and fa- real, phase three is definitely, it's, it's three, it's three, one, two, and it is really not close. You know, like yeah. maybe there are some arguments to be had between one and two. If you've got like some preferences, if like you're standing Guardians of the Galaxy super hard, Winter Soldier is an excellent movie. I could see that even though it's got the albatross of Dark World. Um, but there's just no question that three is the best phase. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of um, uh, uh, divisiveness amongst phase two in movies, right? Like Iron Man 3, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man, Guardians for some I think those are movies that people feel like really high on or really low on. And, and we saw that it was a bit of a rocky phase because of that. Like people are very divided on how they feel about a lot of these movies. And I think that's what kind of leaves, leaves it sort of in the third place, so to speak. Um, but civil war though. Oh my God, dude, Spider-Man. It, it finally happened. I can't make my Peter Parker jokes anymore because now he shows up. He's so. showing up for real. He grew up from being, <laughs> yeah, I, no from small child is, is Peter Parker anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm looking ahead at like my preliminary rankings of everything before we started the pro- the podcast, and I only have uh, 
yeah, like we're going to have some like lower ranked movies in phase three, uh, ultimately, but not a lot there. You know, this is going to I think we're in for a good ride. I think we're in for a good ride. So we're going to talk Civil War. It is technically the beginning of phase three. We're we're treating it basically as the end of this current arc of discussion. But technically and very uh, on a very real level, Kevin, we have concluded phase two, which means we have knocked out two phases of the MCU here Woo! on Everything is Super. <laughs> and I don't know if we like officially announced it or not, but yeah, obviously we're going to see this all the way through to the end of phase three. Uh, I mean, considering you just said we're doing Civil War, <laughs> I yeah, feel like. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're a little bit over halfway home here. So how how do we not keep the party rolling? We're not we're not that far from home. Some might say that's true. Some would say we're not that far <laughs> from a homecoming too. So we're getting mm. close to all of that. Get us your feedback for Civil War. You can send that to super at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us. Kevin is at Kev Mahadeo. I'm at Round Howard. You can also hit up at Post Show Recaps. We'll be back next week talking Civil War. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye.